Welcome back to another Adventures in DevOps. This week, we're talking to Jeffrey Groman. Hey, Charles. How are you? I'm all right. It's been kind of a long week. Uh, but I think I, I think the target stopped moving on the project we're working on that we're supposed to release next week. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're not going to get into that. We're, we're going to talk about a different moving target. We have our special guest this week. That's Will Button. Will, how are you doing? I'm great. How y'all doing? Doing all right. It's been a few weeks. Do you want to just remind people how awesome you are? Absolutely. Every chance I get. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I do DevOps primarily for early stage startups. I spend a lot of time and effort focusing on helping companies launch their startup and then get to productivity. And in addition to that, I run a YouTube channel, DevOps for Developers, where I bring out the Highlights of DevOps and getting your first DevOps job all the way through implementing it throughout your organization. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Awesome. And I'm just going to remind people, I'm Charles Maxwood. I've been doing a whole lot of stuff around influence and influencers. So you can check that out at devinfluencers.com. Let's dive in. We were talking a whole bunch. I think there was a little bit of complaining and a little bit of what the hecking. Yes, that's a, that's a Utah euphemism. What the hecking. Nice. Uh, I like yeah. to turn that into a verb. Yeah. <laughs> that's a talent that I always have possessed. I was listening to Disney music this morning. Sorry. But yeah, we uh, we were talking about DevOps and kind of how the DevOps role and DevOps has kind of come to mean, yo, the server's down, right? And and just sort of the, I mean, I remember they were like the, the sysadmins, right? Back in the day. And right. it's kind of come back around to that. But I also am old enough to remember when DevOps was this new cool movement that was out there. And... It, it seems like that was what it was supposed to be, was this movement, right? And so I'm wondering if the place to start, and Jeffrey, you actually brought this up pre-call, was defining what DevOps is. So how do we define it? Do we define it by what, I guess, we all kind of have in our head is it, it what it was supposed it's to be? It's clearly the, just the title. I mean, why does anything else have to change? Let's just, I mean, I really sincerely believe that if you simply give somebody else a new title, they will just, it's like raising the bar. They'll grow into it and they will take that on and they'll do so much better with a new title. You or look a little not. bit frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say that purely with a straight face, but I feel like that's what so many organizations do, right? They just, 
they just renamed sysadmins as DevOps engineers. And I was I was joking pre-call and I said, you know, a DevOps engineer one, two, or three, meaning like, you know, tier one, tier two, or tier three, as if as you progress in your career, that's you know, you just get the you get the new number behind it. But it just seems like that's where a lot of organizations have gone. And I agree. And, you know, it feels like there was something really sort of exciting about the movement at first. And and it and I and I guess when I think back on it too, because I probably didn't know enough about what was really going on behind the scenes when they were when this title and this idea was coming about, but I felt like it was also really tied into automation and, and cloud, you know, trying to automate things in the cloud as well. But but even with like Chef and Puppet, like there's all these like really cool ideas of like it wasn't simply a new title of sysadmin, and it wasn't, I don't think it was just about trying to get breaking down, you know, communication barriers like we've talked about previously, I feel like there was also this notion that it was like, we're trying to do business differently. We're trying to like shrink. There's always this attitude of let's, let's, how do we deal with IT? Anytime we have a new project, we know it's going to take them six months to stand up new servers, right? So how do, how do we deal with that? So, you know, I feel like DevOps was this idea of like, how do we solve some of those problems that old bad IT had through automation and through other newer methodologies. And I don't know, it just feels like today, it's like, I don't know, it, that it's just become, now it's just a title and everyone has just this, this assumption that, oh yeah, we're doing DevOps. But I don't know mm-hmm. that people really clearly define it today. Yeah, we, we just had Caleb pop on. Let's just throw him in the deep end. Caleb, what's DevOps? <laughs> DevOps is a process and a methodology for communication and collaboration that enhances, really just, just makes companies more efficient. That's, that's my definition of DevOps. And if you ask 100 other people, you'll get 100 different answers to that. That was really convincing, though. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. I get that question a lot. Yeah, it was like he read it from the textbook. It was really nice. <laughs> it's written on the wall behind his camera. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. DevOps is the... <laughs> no, it's a common question, though, right? Yeah. It's something that... I get asked a lot and I think really it's an evolving question as well. Like what DevOps was 10 years ago is not what it is today. It changes as time goes on. The needs of companies change. But I I say it the way I did because I try to emphasize that it's not really like a set of tools that you have to implement or like something that you have to do all at once. It's really something that you can, you can do incrementally and it's really about efficiency and collaboration and communication and there's tools and things like that that help with those things, but the tools are not the end goal. The automation is not the end goal. The end goal is to actually help the company function better. Gotcha. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting too that you brought up, you know, the communication and collaboration and things like that. And Jeffrey expressed some of the the same ideas, right? And and some of the frustration around just sort of the focus on the infrastructure output and server administration and technical aspects of it without paying attention to some of the other things. So kind of gave, I guess, a little bit more sterile answer to that. But but yeah, it has that focus, right? Will, what what do you think? I mean, are, are we kind of barking up the same tree, all, all of us here? Or? I think so. For me, one of the things that I think may be worth highlighting is to go way back because we've got a lot of new people in the DevOps industry now, people who may not have been in this industry pre-DevOps, 
And so one of the things that really sparked the DevOps movement was this wall between software engineering and IT, you know, where there was a lack of communication and software engineering would build a product and then they would throw it over the wall to IT and IT would either deploy it or throw it back over the wall. And so this whole DevOps concept was to to eliminate that wall and make it more of a collaborative effort. And I think that was really successful in the early days of DevOps. But as more and more people have forgotten what that pain was, we've sort of isolated DevOps into their own team such that it really mimics what the original IT software engineering divide looked like. Yeah, I, I think I think what I'm hearing you talk about rhymes a lot with what I saw with the agile development movement in in software development. And I'm going to call out a few things because I, I think it, it kind of pulls together a lot of the ideas that I've heard from all three of you, really. So... I came into software a little bit after the Agile Manifesto was out and people were starting to get excited and we started seeing things like Scrum and 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 all this stuff. And, and before that, I was in IT, right? So I worked in the operations center and then as a systems administrator at Brigham Young University. And then I graduated and I couldn't hold the student position anymore. And to be honest, I was interested in kind of moving out into the wider world, I fell in love with writing software and kind of moved into that space. And so people were trying to figure out how to make that happen. And one of the things that was a big tenet of agile development was the collaboration and and sort of the interpersonal opportunities that came with that. And so we widened our teams, right? And we went beyond just having teams of software developers and we moved into spaces where we were bringing in the business people and the operations people and the IT people and the sales people and who are our users, right? We collaborated with them and we got to the point where we were having conversations with all of the stakeholders in our application and figuring out how to best serve them. And so when DevOps popped up, yeah, there was some aspect of bringing in what software had to offer to automate some of the the operational pieces of infrastructure right and i think i think that's kind of traditionally what people think of if they kind of take a 10,000 foot view and then squint at devops is kind of what they see right but the thing that they miss is that the infrastructure folks saw the success of things like agile development and wanted a lot of the power that it was giving to development to come into their space. And so they took advantage of that and they created a movement that was similar in a lot of ways around, hey, let's change our process, let's change our tooling, let's change our communication style, and let's bring this into how we manage infrastructure and how we manage IT, right? And so we're going to manage our networks this way, right? What do our users need? What does the business need? What does, you know, what do all of these stakeholders need, right? We still maintain a lot of control, but if we're talking to them, then we can provide it, right? And we're going to do this in an agile way, right? Where all of a sudden, hey, we know more today than we did last week. And so we can make, make better decisions. So if we don't have to make the decision, we're going to kick it down the road. You know, we're going to do things in an agile way. And because of that, we, we started to see a lot of these powerful ideas move forward into DevOps. And, 
And so the communication and all, you know, all the stuff that you guys are talking about started to come about into DevOps. And what's been really interesting is, as you have all stated, is kind of turned back into this position and back into this silo instead of having these wider collaborative spaces where we can work. And it's turned back into sort of this method where it's, we're ready to deploy, go make it go out there. We're ready to start a new project, give us infrastructure. Instead of being agile, being able to adapt to the situations and be able to communicate with all this stuff. And, and I work for a fairly large company now full time. And it's, it feels like it's very much that way. I mean, I BS with the IT guys and I give them crap because we're friends and because I've had that job. But at the end of the day, if I need something, I have to throw it over the wall. The wall's there. And it felt like at the beginning of the DevOps movement, a lot of those walls got lowered, if not completely disappeared. And, and I think that's what we're talking about here. So one thing I just realized, I think this is interesting, is that when I go back, so I, I sort of learned DevOps, I think, from like the Gene Kim school of thought, right? And, and I just had to pull the DevOps handbook back off my shelf. And I was looking and I was like, wait a second here. I just realized we have not talked about it. And I mean, this in, in all seriousness, you know, like the three, what do they call the three principles or whatever, like flow, feedback, and continual learning, right? That's mm-hmm. the DevOps handbook. That's how they, those are like the three components, the three stools, the three legs of the stool of DevOps is flow, feedback, and continual learning. So I think we talked a little bit about the feedback, meaning the communications and all that. But I'm curious that we really didn't talk about flow and continual learning. And do you guys think, I mean, I still think these are really crucial pieces that many companies just don't do well. But why haven't we mentioned that? Is that, are we also like sort of missing the boat there? Or do you guys feel like, no, it's, Things have shifted a little bit. I don't know. I'm curious to hear. Or are we calling them different things? That's the other thing that comes into my head. Yeah, I use continuous improvement a lot to kind of cover that continual learning piece because I think really if you're continuously learning, that's great. But if you're not applying it to something, then then what's the point, right? So I tend to use continual improvement uh, to kind of talk about that. And I've mentioned it before on the podcast and I'll mention it in the future again because it is a very important piece. The, the flow piece, I think, is really interesting also. That's probably one that doesn't get brought up as much, but is just as important. And I, th- I think maybe it gets lost in the kind of the tooling that we use, like continuous deployment, continuous integration, those kind of things. Those sort of tools facilitate flow. Will, is there anything else you can think of that helps sort of facilitate flow in, in DevOps? Or am I, you think I'm thinking about that the right way or you have any other feedback there? No, that's that's kind of what my mind goes to whenever we talk about flow. And I think about it from like the whole end to end. You know, I, I tend to approach things from a project-oriented mindset a lot of times. And so I would think about a new application going from initial concept to deployed to production. You know, what's the flow of that? And not only just like the, the flow of software and the flow of CICD, but the flow of information from, you know, the initial team architecting the application, how, do the, how does the information flow to DevOps or IT or whoever is responsible for provisioning the infrastructure and flowing information back on that because that may influence the architecture itself. Well, one thing that I'm wondering, because 
as we talk about this, yeah, CICD makes a lot of this stuff sort of automatic once you have it set up. And so our brains can kind of take a shortcut on some of this stuff, right? And the same thing with continuous improvement or continuous learning. If you have a good system for it, again, you're going to do a lot of this as kind of a natural flow through your daily, weekly, monthly process of just working, right? But I wonder sometimes if we let our systems turn into a stand-in for this where we're not then paying attention to it. And so is CICD enough, right? You know, Will talked about, you know, uh, information flow, communication. Again, you know, we're back to this idea again. And so if we have CICD and again, are, are we missing some critical piece, some critical avenue, right? If our company is consistently pushing us to do some kind of training or some level of learning, are we doing enough, right? Or should we be doing it on our own? Or should we be encouraging the people who work with or for us to be doing it on our own? Is that enough? And is that the reason we're not talking about it is because we have these automatic structures for it? Yeah, there, there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah, so, there is. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, a couple of things I'm thinking about is I think continue. I think if we talk about continual improvement and continual learning, I think there's there's a lot there's a few facets that I that I think about. I mean, one is obviously the technology side of it. So, but to me, I think that's that's sort of table stakes. Like, if you're in technology, then learning and staying on top of technology is table stakes for your job. I don't know. That's personally, true. Yeah, I, I don't personally know that that's or feel that that's really the the essential of continuous improvement or continual learning. I feel like continual learning is really about how can we as an organization do this better, right? So, and and it's the continual learning of you know the business isn't is you know unlikely that it is staying stagnant, right? There's new products, new services, new markets, new niches, new campaigns, whatever, right? So I think. There's that piece of it. Is is IT staying, you know, the technology people as a whole, are they staying on top of what's going on with the business and where that's going? And, you know, because that's what we should be doing is we should be, you know, business drivers and all that. But I also feel like it's not just the technical folks, it's, it's the leadership side of it too. Um, and I've noticed like Jim Kim in his podcast has been spending a lot of time over the last year or so, like interviewing a lot of people talking about leadership and what does leadership mean in like the 21st century and you know and I feel like that's an area that I don't see a lot of improvement unfortunately is that we we take a a strong technical leader turn them into a manager and don't really tell them how to really manage people and then they just are supposed to go off and figure out how to manage people effectively um, and build teams and build teams that will communicate well across the silos and break down silos and and help flow and all that and feedback but we're not if we're not training them again I think that's part of the continual learning too that I don't think we do very well is certainly on the leadership side of just developing people into leaders into being better at that because that's a lot of that stuff is not intuitive you're not wrong and what's funny is is <laughs> that when I talk to people about what show they want me to start next python leadership yeah i'm not i'm not kidding yeah, those are the two I get requests for more often than anything else anymore. And yeah. it's because people, they get promoted. I mean, even the team lead, I mean, some people you're thinking, oh, just, you know, oh, they get to like tier two or tier three management. No, they get promoted to team lead and they are lost yeah. on how to manage up, 
how to manage laterally, how to manage just some of the fundamental, how do I help the people that work under me? It, it's not even like the conflict resolution that you're thinking, boy, I can oh, no. do some training on that. No, it's just the, I've got this person here and I know they need something from me and I have no idea how to deliver. Yeah. Right. I've got somebody in the team who's struggling. What do I do? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Yep. I don't even and know how to figure job. out what they need. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've been thrown into that position too. So I, I feel I feel that one sort of near and dear to my heart because I, you know, I, I remember the first time I was promoted to a manager and had this whole long talk with my boss. And I, I was like, you know, I really love all the aspects of that role in terms of like, the expanded scope and more responsibility in terms of what, you know, the program that we were doing and all this. But I was like, the one thing I really don't want to do is manage people because <laughs> I don't know how to, you know, and it was like, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't, and, and I just got sort of got thrown into it. And I feel like that's what happens to most people. And I think that maybe in the military, I'm not, I, I was never in the military, but I've heard enough military folks being interviewed that I feel like there's a lot that goes into in the military of like really developing leaders. And I feel like that's something that we really need to do a much better job of learning from that, taking those, taking that knowledge base, that skill set, and bringing it into corporate America. Because and, and I, when I say corporate America, I mean, no matter what size company you're working for, right? I mean, if you've got a hand, even if you only have a handful of people, you're still doing some kind of leadership and management. So I think there's a unique facet to it too, for our particular industry, because most everyone in our industry knows that you've got to keep your technical skills up to date. And so when we say the words continuous learning, I think everyone instantly goes to, oh, I got to learn React.js or Next or mm -hmm. Kubernetes. And there's just an endless list of things to study there. And then, so you put someone into a management or a leadership position and they've kind of got this internal struggle that they have to face. I have to learn how to manage people, but at the same time, I also have to keep my technical skills up to date, or I may not be seen as a worthy leader by my team. And so then, and then without, you know, lack of, lack of more guidance, you know, someone like me would just go to GitHub and search for a leadership repo and say, oh, no, not one there. Moving on. <laughs> I was just going to say, we need a manager stack overflow. Where, where can I grab someone's solution and just plug it in? Right. Well, the other thing that's hard about that too, though, is that you, like, if you have somebody struggling, you can't really go on a stack overflow and say, so I've got this guy, right? Beyond the HR legal issues, right? You you just can't. But anyway, the, the other thing that I want to point out, though, is leadership isn't just an assignment, right? I mean, I play some leadership roles on my team. And there, there are three of us that work together every day, right? And we don't really have like a team lead, right? And so I, I have some leadership responsibility on my team just by virtue of I've been doing Ruby on Rails longer than anybody else, right? And so I do some mentorship stuff and stuff like that. And during our retrospectives, you know, I'll call some stuff out that I see that, you know, we need to work on and things like that. I'm also in our planning meetings, and I don't know why, but I have the leadership role of, guys, this is nuts, right? And, and I just call it out. And I call it out because I'm more comfortable doing that than the other guys, right? And, and so sometimes the leadership role is, you know, pointing crap out 
when you have to call crap out, right? And so there, there's all kinds of leadership and it may not be an explicit job function that you have. And so I think there's a certain level of this that isn't team lead, that isn't middle management, that's just a function of you being around other people that they need from you. And I think we owe it to our other team members to step up and deliver it. I think this is especially relevant in the DevOps world because what I see quite often is DevOps engineers or, you know, whatever, whatever the job title is, I see them being tasked with doing things that really require some level of organizational process or procedural change that they don't actually have the authority to, to make decisions on. So they really, in order to accomplish their job quite often, the only way they can really do that is to kind of lead, manage up and, and lead from a position of, you know, really showing the benefits of things that rather than just saying, this is how we're doing things, right? Because they don't necessarily have the authority to actually say, we need to change this, we need to do this. They have to demonstrate it. So I think that's that's really relevant in the DevOps world as well, where, you know, you don't necessarily have the manager title, but you you definitely have to lead change in a lot of different areas, uh, even without the explicit authority to do so, or to at least to, to mandate or dictate change. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an important one too, is, you know, just connecting that, you know, Kayla, what you just said back to what, what Charles was saying, you know, in terms of, you know, so today everyone's talking about building like safe environments, right? And I think that's, I never really got that at first, like what that meant. But now I really, I feel like in the last, I don't know, uh, more recently, I think it's made a lot more sense to me because I think, Charles, I think you hit it on the head, which is that people, if people don't feel comfortable voicing their concerns, which is, in my mm-hmm. experience, that's much more common that people are not comfortable doing that as opposed to people who are, who, where you've got an environment where everyone's comfortable voicing their concerns. And, and, you know, if you're not doing that, so as a leader, if you're not creating that safe space where people feel very comfortable voicing their concerns you've got a problem because people aren't going to voice concerns and people you know th- those are the people who know that there's a problem coming and they're not going to voice it until until the titanic hits the first that uh, scrapes against the first iceberg but i think the other piece of it that killed that you were just saying also is that you know this idea of increased responsibility but not the authority that is commensurate with that like that's a really tough like if you're the leader and you can't always give the person commensurate authority to their responsibility. But if you don't, man, you've really got to help them because that's a horrible position to be in, or at least it can potentially be a really horrible position to be in where you just feel completely like powerless and, you know, demoralized because here the whole, you know, the weight of the world is on my shoulders, but I have no authority to actually make any changes or make things better. I feel like that's, as a leader, you've really got to figure out how to step up and help those folks out a lot. Yeah. Well, and what's what's interesting about what you're saying, Jeffrey, is that sometimes creating that safe space is creating the safe space for all of the people that you want to keep and creating, a, I don't want to say hostile work environment, but making it absolutely clear that the person who is the problem is needs to go, right? And, and that's, yes. honestly, yes, that's one of the hardest things to do because at that point, it's a confrontation and confrontations are really hard. But the flip side is, is that those other people, if they're not willing, if they aren't safe to bring it up, they will leave one by one. You'll watch them all go. Right. And yeah. then you're stuck with your problem child. With the problem. And, right. 
And right. you're going to be in a position where you don't feel like you can let them go because you don't have anybody else. And instead, if you have these people, and we're going to go back to these ideas again around DevOps, right? Where you have the communication, you have the flow, you have all of these things that are working for you, right? They may not even be as talented as your problem child, but because you have all the other things that are part of this DevOps culture that are working for you, that you can rely on, you're going you're gonna to be way better off. And so you, you have to do that and you have to protect that and you have to protect that process and that culture and those things that are going to work for you and make it work. And, and, you know, it's funny because we've gone from talking about what is DevOps to what is leadership, but without the leadership, you really can't create that culture of DevOps that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you mentioned about process there, because uh, something I see quite often in, in certain teams that I've consulted with in the past and things like that, they'll have like one rock star that's really talented, but also quite abrasive to the other team members. And then exactly what you mentioned happens. Basically, people end up leaving because they don't like working with this person. Mm -hmm. And quite often, managers can be quite hesitant to maybe get rid of this very talented individual that doesn't fit with the team. And sometimes it's just a bad team fit. And sometimes it's, it's just personalities or, you know, whatever it is. But if, you, if you're relying excessively on one very talented person, then your process might be broken somewhere. So I always say like process over rock stars, like, you know, focus on the process. You shouldn't need to have rock stars if your process is good. And if you need to have rock stars in there in order to make things work, then your process might be broken. Right. And the for other, the listeners, we're all shaking our heads saying, absolutely, Caleb, you, yeah. you, you say that as it is. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresindevopspodcast.com slash Raygun. Well, the other thing though, and I've seen this too, right? Where it's, there's the rock star and they're not particularly abrasive, right? They don't talk down to people. They're not rude. They really aren't a problem child in that way, but they're the person that everybody else comes back to, to get the problem solved. And, and the, the knowledge doesn't disseminate. It doesn't come down to anybody else. The communication isn't happening, right? The, the flow doesn't really happen. The All of the other things that make the DevOps movement, and the DevOps culture work, those things aren't happening. And the problem that you have there is then your DevOps culture and what DevOps, what makes DevOps work can't scale, right? Because it's all yeah. down to that one person. 
And so in those cases, you either need to figure out how to get that person to be able to communicate and scale out to the rest of the team, or you need to figure out how to, how to get somebody else in there who can do what that person does and scale, right? Because eventually that person's going to leave because they're going to get overwhelmed. Everybody else is going to leave because they're not growing and you're going to be, you're going to be left holding the bag as the leader. And so you've got to, you've got to figure this out. Yeah. The, uh, the bus factor for teams is like how many team members could get hit by a bus tomorrow and still it's a bit gruesome, but uh, you know, how many, basically how many team members could you, you lose without your team falling apart? Right. So how much redundancy do you have in place in your processes and in your people do you have mentorship going on? Do you have knowledge transfer going on? Do you have things being documented, you know, to make sure that you're not excessively reliant on a single person? Yeah, but the other thing is, and, and it's it's even more insidious than that, is, you know, when you're talking about like the, the one person that's creating the toxic work culture, I mean, it poisons it. In a few months, the team's dead, right? With With this situation, it's still a toxic work culture. The difference is, is that it poisons it over a longer period of time. And a lot of times you don't see what the problem is until that one person leaves. Yeah. And so you just have to be on the lookout for it. And that's why that's why these principles of DevOps are so important. And you have to be measuring against those instead of against team output. You have to be measuring both. Because the, the one tells you how you're doing as far as getting the work done. You have to be measuring output. But the other tells you how you're doing as far as your team's health and and well-being and how you're able to continue to do what you're doing long term and how you're able to grow and grow the people that you're working with. One thing I want to point out here is Charles mentioned that we started talking about what is DevOps and that led to leadership. And then we were talking about, you know, this this particular aspect of it of of team management. One thing that I think is really important to point out at least for me, because it's near and dear to my heart recently, is that even though we're talking about leadership and management skills, it doesn't necessarily apply to only people with a management title. And I think it's particularly relevant to DevOps because when we started doing DevOps, there were no senior DevOps people. You know, it was DevOps day one. But now that we've been doing this for a few years, even if you know, someone like myself doesn't have a leadership role. I feel like I have leadership responsibilities to help groom and mentor people along this path, whether that's, you know, my coworkers or junior people on the team or managers that I report to, just identifying some of those things that that y'all were just pointing out about identifying the the rock star developer or the toxic developer. And maybe, maybe the manager doesn't recognize that. And so I think as a senior engineer, it's some, it falls as my responsibility as well to identify that, bring it up and then help coach whoever's relevant in that situation through that process. I'm kind of curious, Will, because you, you're bringing up something really interesting. And I'm not in this position, and so I don't have experience here, but I know that you do, I know Caleb does, and I think to a certain degree, Jeffrey does as well. So when you go into an organization, right, because you all, you all consult with people and, and, and do this, right, you go into a, a new company, 
and you start helping them set up the people infrastructure as well as some of the more traditional infrastructure to start solving some of these problems, right? And the idea is eventually you're going to move on and go do something else. So what do you look for in their people, in their setup, in their behaviors, in their business people, et cetera? And, and what kinds of things do you emphasize? What kinds of things do you train? What kinds of things do you reward in order to get people to have the kind of things that we're talking about here to have a successful DevOps organization? Given that we're talking about people, I think given my last 100 assignments in this, I would have 100 different approaches, you know, just because humans are humans and we all behave differently. But I think one of the things that I look for is just to in, initially is to identify the different skills of, um, of people. What are their strong points? What are their weak points? And then enlist their help that align with their strong points. And then once the machine's rolling, then flip it on its head and have them work on their weak points and do that in some form of like a team rotation or a lot of the a lot of times I'll do it where this person will be working on project X and then after a while they'll switch from project X to project Y that's going to give them a chance to work on those weaker skills and also provide uh, some cross training throughout the team. I think I totally agree with what with what Will said is that it's it's just so interesting to me like every organization I go into so I I'm mostly working with the security team Mm-hmm. but they're all unique. And you think that, especially if you're talking about the same industry, <laughs> you would think the two organizations in the same industry, if they're relatively the same size, would be fairly similar. And in some respects they are, but they're unique. <laughs> and it's and you really can't go into an organization with that assumption of, okay, this is what I'm going to find, or this is what I'm going to tell them from day one that they should be doing, because they're all going to be a little bit unique and, you know, part of it's the personality, the culture, you know, all, all that stuff that goes along with it. I guess what I would say is, so I do a lot of assessment work, right? You walk into a company and you're just trying to assess where they are and what, where could they be doing better? And I feel like there's no recipe for how to do that, but you start to listen to the folks talk about, this is what we do. This is our processes. And it doesn't take long to start to hear where the gaps are, right? And, and then you start to talk to other people because you don't want to just make your draw your conclusions based on the first one or two people you speak to. So then you talk to other groups and pretty soon you start hearing those same issues resonating across multiple groups, multiple teams. And you're like, wow, <laughs> this is, you know, here it is. Like that's that's the issue. And honestly, I think a lot of it is just processes that, that don't work um, or just just don't exist, right? It's not, well, we don't have a process. We just have really smart people and they go figure things out. Well, that's not the best way for, you know, depending on what we're talking about, there's different reasons, but, you know, that's that's not the best way and processes are, are really a good thing to have. Or there's really bad communications. We hate those people. We don't talk to them and they hate us and they don't talk to us, right? You know, unfortunately that kind of stuff happens or it's not even that. Like I, I just, I'm just going to give you one example and I'm going to turn it over to Caleb and I'm, I'm sure he's got some, insights as well. But this was one that it just struck me because it was so glaring. So I was talking to, uh, this was in the energy industry, and I was talking to a, to the security team. 
And I was just trying to understand, like, okay, so in your company, what is the most crucial thing? You know, we talk about crucial, critical applications and data that you want to protect. We're just trying to understand what that is. It just helps us get a sense for the company. So they told us one thing. And then we're like, okay, fine. That makes sense. Then we talked to, like, the COO, who's also the chief compliance officer. And we asked him the same question. So, you know, what's the most critical piece of data or application in your environment from the business standpoint? Obviously, he's not a, he's not a technical guy. He's not a security guy. He's an IT guy. Completely different answer, but it was purely based on the business. And the fact that IT and security had absolutely no idea what is the most critical data to this company, and yet that's their job is to build those business processes and to protect those business processes, How does that disconnect happen? And this was not a particularly siloed company where people just wouldn't talk to each other. I think it's just that those two groups never had reason to communicate and never had that that conversation. But it's just amazing how you hear these kinds of things, these sort of dysfunctions that occur in companies. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, one, listening. So when you come into a new company or something, you're looking at things, really just communicate, listen ask the right kind of questions. Those can often be very revealing. And sometimes asking the right question uh, can actually be more instructive than, than telling somebody something, right? Just getting them thinking about something quite often can be conducive to the right kinds of changes, just, you know, kind of giving them a new perspective to think about or to consider. Uh, I find that often results in, especially in the situations where you don't have the authority to like dictate any kind of change, just asking the right questions, getting people thinking about the right types of things quite often gets you 80% of the way there. And then you can start to look at where like different tooling and automation, some of the more classic sort of DevOps type things can fit in. But the thing that I think probably gets underemphasized normally that I keep hearing from, from everyone today is, you know, it's really about the people, right? If you, and, and I think this is probably, you know, something for anyone considering a career in DevOps or especially uh, junior, you know, DevOps people who are getting into it and uh, that kind of thing is like, this job is very much a people person job. In some ways, you're kind of a manager, even when you're not, you're responsible, you know, like I mentioned earlier, and then Will has touched on this as well. You're responsible for sometimes doing things that uh, you don't necessarily have that authority to to do. And so you really, you have to focus on that communication on people, really leading by example. You know, I'm always kind of considering like, what am I doing here? Or how is this, how is this, uh, how does this look to the rest of the company? And how can I make sure that I'm doing the types of things that help them to see an example of what this would look like, what good communication would look like, what good process would look like? Uh, How do I make sure I'm not slacking off on process? to make sure that you know I'm emphasizing through my actions the importance of these things. Those are those are all factors that, that play into it. Uh, but the, the short answer is really, you know, there is no one size fits all answer to like, how do you do DevOps in an organization? It's entirely dependent on the people in the organization, the existing structure, culture, and the objectives of the company. The data example was really good, Jeffrey, I think around like someone not even understanding what like the critical data for the company is. I see that disconnect a lot. And so the other question that I ask a lot is kind of like, how, how do we help the company reach its goals? And what are the company goals? A lot of people don't even really know, especially on the technical side, what the company's goals really are and how their role kind of helps to augment those. So even just asking them those questions, like what are the company's goals? How can you help the company to reach those? Can kind of realign their thinking along more of a 
results-driven kind of mindset and help them to think about the long-term ramifications of certain things versus like the short-term optimization. Because in tech, there's always that balance between like getting it done fast and doing it right. And there's a place for both, uh, particularly in startups. You know, sometimes you do just need to take the fast approach and get it done and make it work and you come back later. But at least you understand the trade-offs you're making and you can make more informed decisions uh, you know, about those types of things. So I want to ask one follow-up question then, because it seems like there's a lot of the same answers, mostly just, you know, go ask questions, listen, figure things out. And then and then you can start to make, you know, judgment calls as far as, okay, we're going to start here. We're going to evaluate what strengths people have. We're going to move ahead this way. One thing that I've seen within a lot of companies, and, and you all have kind of talked about, hey, you know, come in as a consultant, come in from the outside. So you don't have this preconceived idea of how things are, how they're supposed to be based on having been in the company for a year or two or three or whatever, right? And so let's say that somebody's been in DevOps or been in business or been in management within the company for the last while, and they're starting to think, okay, I'm listening to these guys. They've got all these ideas about how we can make this process better, open up communications, put some of this stuff into place. But I'm afraid of what I don't know. And I'm afraid I have some biases in place. And I'm not even going to be asking the right questions. How do you work around that? How do you work around sort of the stuff that I think I already know? Things that I might even take for granted that I think I already know to the point where I'm not even going to question it. I I think one way to approach that is when addressing that question, understand that you're doing it for the benefit or you're trying to make things better for your customer. Right. So the first step in that is to go ask your customer and how you ask the question is going to greatly influence the answer. And so to me personally, it would be important to not bait the question to get the answer that I want. So I would be perfectly blunt and, you know, go to my customer and say, what sucks? And then just listen. <laughs> yeah. I think it's hard though. If so, if you are, if I understand the question correctly, I, I think if you are somebody who's been in a company for a long time, and especially if you've never done consulting work, I think one of the biggest, I guess, value of, of a consultant is somebody who's been in many environments mm-hmm. is really helpful to have that that experience, just that that many miles under uh, that you've walked or, or what have you. It's it's hard to replace that. So I think you know, that's that's hard if you haven't done that before. So if you're in a company, you haven't really worked for a lot of different companies before, it's sort of hard to be objective. But I think what's important then is uh, if you, you know, if you don't have that and you don't have that experience to sort of fall back on, I think it's really crucial to find somebody. Uh, I'm not saying to go out and hire consultants. That's certainly an option, but it's not necessarily what you have to do, at least to, if you're just trying to get a sense for what's what, uh, how you might want to try and look at things more objectively, but get outside help. Because even if a spouse or somebody else who just doesn't work for the company, they'll give you, like, they'll have a very different perspective than you do. Because, you know, you've been working, you, you've been somewhere for a long time. You already have those sort of assumptions. You've got those, mm-hmm. you know, like you've got the bias already built into you. You've got to be able to take a step back. And sometimes it's just a good friend or somebody who knows you well or somebody who can sort of coach you on how do you know that how you know are you just assuming that or do you actually know that and maybe you should go find out maybe you know maybe you should talk to those people that you never talked to and you know get somebody who will push you in that direction because that's i mean that's what consultants do and it's it's not rocket science it's just knowing how to ask the right questions and who to ask them to and 
And to ask that same question, as Will said, ask that same question to as many people as you can. Same question, see what answers you get, because you'll see that if once you hit on the right topic, you'll get the same answer no matter who you talk to in the company. I think the questions part of that is also really, really key. And even just asking yourself questions can be very helpful. Like, why are we doing this thing this way? Or why did why is this thing set up this way? Particularly if you joined a company maybe that already had a lot of established kind of processes in place and things like that. And then you join, maybe you've been there a couple of years and you feel like things have stagnated a little bit or, you know, they aren't kind of improving in the ways that you want because maybe there's a lot of legacy baggage. I've been in that position before. I think it's, it's something that a lot of people have probably seen. And one of the ways that I like to kind of think about that, obviously getting outside, you know, perspectives is, is really important. And that, that's probably the quickest way to solve some of these kind of challenges. But if that's not available, or maybe it's, it's not a big enough problem that you need that, or you just want to do something uh, quickly, just really asking yourself, like, why is this in place? Why is this here? What is this doing? Uh, if we could rebuild this from scratch, what would it look like? Uh, you know, those, those are all really, really good questions to ask yourself to kind of help reset that perspective. And sometimes you'll find that something that seems totally nonsensical is there for a reason especially in larger organizations, there could be embedded processes or little tools in place or little things happening. And it's just like, this looks totally silly. Like, why is this here? What is it doing? And then if you actually drill down and start asking questions, you realize like it, it plays a really critical role for some specific reason or whatever. And half the time that'll be the case. And half the time you'll realize like, oh, wait, this was put in place 10 years ago for this reason. It's completely irrelevant now and we can get rid of it. Right. And so that's part of part of the continuous process of improvement is taking out the pieces that are no longer relevant and then not necessarily replacing them with something because maybe it doesn't need to be replaced. But in, in cases where it does or it can be improved and you can work on that and you can get rid of that technical debt and process debt, because companies often have process debt in the same way you can have old code that's just in there and nobody really knows what it does or why it's there. You can have processes in place that were put in place 10 years ago by somebody else. Nobody really knows why it's there, what it does until someone starts asking those questions and they realize, oh, that was in place 10 years ago because of some specific piece of software we use that needed this piece of data. We no longer use that software. We don't need to do this thing anymore. You know, we've all seen that a million times probably. So the short answer is, is just ask a lot of questions of yourself, of others, uh, get, go deep into the details of like why certain things are being done the way they are and try to really understand them uh, from the bottom up. And then you can kind of uh, make decisions on whether it's still necessary or it could be improved or replaced or removed. Yeah, some some of the similar questions that I like to ask on some of this stuff are pretty broad, but they tend to give you some perspective that will allow you to dive deeper into some of this stuff. And Caleb, you've kind of danced around a lot of these, right? So uh, one of them is, and, and you have to you have to be completely open to the answers, right? If you're going to get defensive on any of this stuff, don't ask, right? Just don't go there. But one of them is, what is my superpower or what is our superpower? You know, if you're talking about a team or an organization, right? So the executive team, you know, or the DevOps team or the management team or whatever, right? The other one, though, is what is my kryptonite? You know, what is on the other end? What What is the thing that we just, we fall apart on, right? What what are our blind spots? You know, what do we just not get? What do what don't we see? What don't we understand that that is hurting us? Right? You dive into some of that, right? Uh, and you get into some of that stuff, and you start breaking it down 
And pretty quickly, you're going to get to the core of some of the stuff that they're just not bringing to your, your attention because they just don't think you get it or because they don't think you can handle it or some of the things that they're just really counting on you for that you just didn't realize. They just assumed that you just completely understood and knew what was going on with this thing. And you realize that you need to communicate way better on that stuff and you better be on top of it because they're completely 100% relying on you for it. And sometimes you might be dropping the ball and it's going to hurt them when you do. And so then you open the door, but then you can drill in and it's, it's like, okay, so this is our kryptonite and you don't defend it. Come to understand it. You know, why are you seeing, why, what, where have we let you down, right? And then you can build that back up and put processes in place to shore up confidence that those kinds of things aren't going to happen again. And that the things that they do need to depend on you for in those areas are getting handled, right? And, and all of that stuff feeds right back into this stuff so that then you're in a position where you can really serve what needs to get served. So anyway, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. Is there anything else that we need to handle that's kind of part of this conversation about what DevOps is or what DevOps should be? I think we've pretty well blown away the DevOps is the make the servers run guy idea. That was deep. That was like Marcus Aurelius meets DevOps. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Caleb, you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, I, uh, like last week, totally failed to prepare a pick this week, so uh, I'm going to pass on this one. Unfortunately, I was trying to think of something here, but uh, nothing nothing comes to mind. So I'll pass this week on the picks and uh, prepare next week. Okay. If you do think of something, just wave at me while I'm uh, giving everyone else a turn. Good deal. Uh, Jeffrey. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I came up with one, you know, as we were talking. So I, I mentioned the DevOps handbook. I still think that's that's a great book. But I think a lot of people have probably read the Phoenix Project, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of people in the field. And, and I tell, I mean, I tell folks even in security and other fields, I, the Phoenix Project is just a good book. It's such an easy read. But I think the I think the downside to it is that it's such an easy read. You go through it and you're not quite sure. Like, it's just, a, it's the whole story, right? Of this fictional co- company that figures out that it needs to do DevOps and it doesn't call it DevOps, but it just, you know, they need to basically revamp their whole IT system because it's completely broken and dysfunctional and all that. And you sort of come out of the book thinking, hey, yeah, I get the problem, but I don't really understand how would I ever apply that to, to my, like, to my field or to my job or to my industry. And you really got to pick up the Beyond the Phoenix Project. It's the audible book, uh, audio book, you know, piece of it. And it's uh, Gene Kim and I think John Willis. And they're basically just like, it's like a long, really long, like 12 hour long podcast of them talking about all the different pieces and conversations and books they read and discussions and keynotes that they've listened to and all these different things or, or research that they've been part of or courses that they took that all sort of fed into building this storyline of the Phoenix Project. And if you really want to understand, like, you know, the ins and outs of like 
the research behind a lot of this, you really got to listen to beyond the Phoenix Project. I think it's a it's a great listen. It's one of those things that I parts of it I've listened to several times just because it's really interesting. It's it's just so insightful. Uh, so that's my pick for for the uh, for the week is the Phoenix Project and then beyond the Phoenix Project probably even more so because that's really where you learn the stuff that went into it. Awesome, I'm gonna check that out. They also have the Unicorn Project if you're more of a developer person. It, it, it's it's a great book too, but you know, I mean, we could throw that one in there as well. Yeah. It's really more on the agile side and like, yeah, you know. But I, I agree. I think the it really is the next step, I, I guess, because it's sort of building this idea of why do we even care about, you know, sort of combining like it's a combination of DevOps and Agile and sort of building out these teams that are cross-functional and all that. So if, yeah, if that's your bend, then definitely uh, go to um, the Unicorn Project because that's really interesting where it's start to, you know, talk about these cross-functional teams and such. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to pick a book. I, I think I've picked this probably a few weeks in a row uh, when I've been on, but this book is totally kicking my rear end and the deeper I go oh my gosh and and I'm probably going to go back and listen to it again I actually have a hardcover copy of it now because I need to just go back and like annotate the crap out of it um, it's called who not how and I'm, I'm going to give a kind of a longer version of the pick even though I have a call in five minutes those folks can wait because they work for me and and I'm going to be talking about them kind of because that's anyway. So the book, Who Not How, it's uh, Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. Benjamin Hardy actually wrote the book. It's based on Dan Sullivan's work. And Dan Sullivan came up with this idea of Who Not How. And it's a management book. Okay. So if you run a business, um, you know, some of these guys work for consultancies. I think all of you guys consultancies or consultants. But the idea is, is that you find uh, people to do work for you that aren't your uh, zone of genius. And honestly, this is probably the biggest thing that I have screwed up in my business year over year since I started devchat.tv like 10 years ago. And for various reasons, I thought that I had to do all this stuff myself because I'm stupid or because I didn't know better. I think that's probably a better way to put it. But anyway, so I'm reading this book and they're talking about freedom of time and then freedom of money. And that's kind of where I've gotten to listening to this book. But the idea is, is that you find the people who can do the things that you need done and you let them do it. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got all these processes. I just need somebody, people to go execute the process. And then I was talking to a bunch of people who I've been kind of reading the book with today. And I realized that no, 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 no. What I need is I need to actually say, hey, look, these are the outcomes I need. Go figure it the crap out, right? <laughs> this is These are the processes I've come up with. Here, here you go, right? Here's all the stuff I've done. You can do that. You can do it your own way. But these are the outcomes I'm going to measure you on. You know, go figure it out. And it's also really freeing, right? Because I've bought courses for running conferences, I've bought courses for writing books, I've bought courses for, I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? And I've realized that, yeah, you know, I want to write the books. And yeah, I want to be involved in running conferences. But that does not mean that I have to do all the work. And so I'm realizing that there's this wide breadth of stuff that I could be doing for the people who listen to these podcasts that are trying to get ahead in software development and DevOps and uh, some of these other areas that we have shows in 
that I haven't been able to serve the way I want because I'm trying to bang my head against the wall and get podcasts produced, right? And so anyway, it's been really powerful for me just to realize that as I'm building devchat.tv back up, long story. But as I've been trying to build it back up and get all the processes back in place and everything like that, that I need to be hiring people to take on some of the stuff and and pick up some of these pieces and just just make it all work. So long-winded version of a pick for this book, Who Not How. So if you're running a company and you feel like you're doing stuff that you really ought shouldn't be doing or things that are not the essential pieces that you specifically need to be involved in and probably some of the pieces where you feel like you specifically should be involved in. Because some of the things I, I thought of and I was like, I specifically should be involved in that. And then I realized that, no, I don't even need to be doing that, right? I can find another person to do that and I can make an arrangement that makes it worth it for them to do it. And so, yeah, I am completely changing the way I think about the business of running the shows. And I'm probably going to wind up being hiring or working out some other arrangement, right? So it may be, hey, I'll let you into the the Dev Influencers Accelerator in exchange for doing this work for me instead of making you pay for it or do some one-on-one coaching or teaching you how to do some other thing or uh, there are all kinds of options for this, but it makes it worth it to them and it makes it worth it for me to get these things done in the manner that I need them. And then I can stay in the zone of genius that I need to be in and I can get the stuff done that I need to get done. So anyway, who not how? I'll put a link in the show notes. But yeah, I'm probably going to wind up going through this book like four or five times before I move on to another book because it's that good. And I never do that. So yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go get it for my Kindle right now. Yeah, looks really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's terrific. Will, do you have some picks for us? So my pick for this week is a YouTube video. It's the Kelsey Hightower Fireside Chat from DevRelCon in 2019. And... It's interesting because the topic he's talking about in that was particularly relevant to the conversation that we had today. And he's talking about mentorship and developing professional skills and career growth. And a lot of the the topics and uh, advice he had in that fireside chat lines up with a lot of the conversation that we had today. So I think it'll be particularly useful if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll enjoy that YouTube video as well. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, can you remind people where they can find you online too? Absolutely. On Twitter, I'm at WF button and on the web, I'm devopsfordevelopers.io. All right. And that'll send them over to your YouTube channel too, right? Yep. That's correct. Well, thanks for coming. This was a terrific conversation. (laughs) This was great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thanks. Well, yeah, great conversation. All right, folks, we're going to wrap it up here until next time. Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.